All right, well, good to be with you guys again this morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City Church. Good to be with you guys. Good to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we have been uh, going through a book of the Bible called Ephesians. It's a letter to a church in the New Testament. And uh, this morning, we, uh, we dive into chapter 3. We're like rocketing through Ephesians, nearing the halfway point. We might get done before next year, so we'll see what happens, right? Uh, let me pray. And uh, we will uh, dive in together. God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for you. Um, God, we just look forward to uh, just, we just long that you would just keep showing us more about who you are and what you're like as we study your word. And so we trust that you will, and we look forward to doing that with you this morning. Pray these things in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, so uh, the book of Ephesians is all about identity, right? It's all about an identity of a new people, right? And the first half of the book of Ephesians really lays that out. If you've been here over the past couple of weeks, um, then you've seen that as the Apostle Paul just really tries to clarify and outline and articulate um, who we are because of Jesus, And the transition between who we are without Jesus and who we are because of Jesus is like dramatically, epically huge. That transition I talked about last week is kind of like the random rusty road spike into a katana, you know? Um, That that transformation is is massive. And it doesn't happen without him. And uh, the, the book of Ephesians talks about that transformation as uh, we were uh, dead and enslaved and condemned, but now because of Jesus we are alive, we are free, and we are heirs with Christ. And so we are redeemed and reconciled, we are chosen, we are loved as God's kids. Like there is an immense amount of change that happens because of this new identity we have when we put our faith in Jesus. And the second half of the book of Ephesians is not going to just keep hashing that out, but rather it's going to say, if that really is true, if we really have a new identity, if we really are different people because of what Jesus does, or of what he has done, then that should pretty dramatically affect how we live. It changes us, right? And so um, the second half of, of Ephesians, we'll really start to get that in a few weeks, really outlines the so what. So now what? If you are new, what does it look like for you to live in light of that, right? Um, but it's really important before we get there that we just really uh, hammer home the idea, Ephesians is not just laying an, out a new identity for us as individuals, Right? It's not just laying out an identity for us as individuals. It's laying out an identity for a whole new people of God, right? So the new, uh, it's, uh, the new humanity we talked about last week, right, is one made up of both Jews and Gentiles, uh, kind of a warring people groups who, because of Jesus, uh, last week we talked about how Jesus broke down, he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between those peoples, and he became the peace that brought peace amongst them. There's a reconciliation there that happens because of Jesus. And that leads to, as we talked about, we ended last week, a people that is made into a temple, not like an actual building. That would be weird, like if you stacked people on each other and whatnot, right? But, but it's about the idea of the temple is a place by where which God lived, right? And so at the root of what's happening is God is creating for himself a new people who will be uh, the 
his habitation, where he lives, where he dwells. Instead of being a place, it's about a people in which he lives in and which he lives through. The New Testament talks about that people as the church, right? So the word that the New Testament uses to describe that new people who will be God's dwelling place, who he lives in and who he lives through, the Bible talks about that group of people. It calls them the church. And you see, the church is not a place. The church is a people. I just want to say that again. The church is not a place. The church is a people. And it's moreover is a people with an incredible purpose and an incredible mission because of that new identity that we have received because of Jesus, right? And chiefly, that identity is about knowing God and is about making him known. So that's where Paul is headed this morning as we dig into chapter 3. Paul is reminding the people in the church in Ephesians and reminding us not just about our identity and our relationship with God that's been restored and reconciled, but he's saying it's, about, it's bigger than just you and God. It's about a people that God is making new so that he might be made known in and through them. Let's read our passage, uh, and uh, we'll see if we can't make sense of uh, what's going on here. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 here. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, excuse me, the mystery that was made known by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In this reading, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy people and apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises of Christ Jesus. <coughs> And I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ. <coughs> in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. They are your glory. All right. Well... I feel like we should get our Scooby-Doo mobile and investigate the mystery, right? Um, the whole passage starts as talking about a mystery, right? There's this mystery, a mystery that's been hidden, a mystery, and then Paul's like, ah, I'll just let you know what it is. <laughs> you don't have to worry, I'll just tell you, right? See, the mystery is soup that's laid out in the passage is also described in the passage in verse 6. It says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body. If you were here last week, I talked about kind of the historic divide between um, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And Gentiles are just everyone who isn't Jewish, right? 
And we talked about the special relationship that God had with the Israelite people. And it was a relationship by which he chose them as his people, not because they deserved it, not because they earned it. And in fact, they were a super jacked up group of people, right? But God was choosing them so that through that people, all of the world might know who he was and what he was like. Unfortunately, the Israelites like totally and completely missed the entire point of that. And instead of seeing their privileged status and relationship with God as like a, like just as incredible privilege that they should steward and that they should like expand towards others, they saw it as like uh, a favoritism. And instead of um, generously loving and serving others so that they might know God, they uh, kind of got high and they just like, they became like, we are the special people, everyone else sucks. They had missed the whole point of what they were supposed to be and who they, they were supposed to be as God's people. And as we talked about last week, God didn't actually need them to fulfill that. He was going to do it himself in and through the person and work of Jesus, right? And so Jesus is the one who becomes the peace that is needed between Jews and Gentiles, between man and between God. And so there is a reconciliation that happens in every way, a vertical reconciliation and a horizontal reconciliation, vertical between man and God and horizontal between people, all of that because of Jesus. And so what happens is that instead of just the Israelites being God's special and chosen people, because of Jesus, all humanity is welcomed into that invitation to be God's people. And so the mystery is that it's not just Jews who are God's people. The mystery is that all people are invited to be a part of God's people by faith. It's a new people that is made for God and made by God. And so the mystery is there, right? But this passage is not just about telling what the mystery is. It's about proclaiming the implications of the that mystery being revealed. And the mystery is proclaimed by two, uh, two, two things, two people in this passage. First, it's the Apostle Paul, right? <coughs> in verse 7, he says, I became a servant of that gospel, right? The gospel, the good news that all people are welcomed into God's family by faith, not just the Israelites. That's, that's really good news. Because if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, it said, when we were outside of God's people, we were like dead, alienated, hostile towards God, and without hope. Like the situation was really bad. And now because of Jesus, we, are, we have um, entrance into that family, into that people. And so Paul says, I became a, a, a servant of that gospel. And the way that he talks about that is not, um, I became an employee of that gospel. Or I became uh, a paid official of that. Or I became just uh, I became an elected ambassador for that. No, he says he talks about it in a way that it was like an honor and a privilege that he didn't deserve. You see, spreading the gospel, the good news about all that Jesus has done, is an honor and a privilege given to all Christians, and as well that includes the Apostle Paul. 
Specifically, he had a very specific mission in light of that, right? But in 1 Corinthians, uh, the passage talks about how all of us as God's people have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And at the root of that is joining Jesus in that vertical and horizontal reconciliation that happens. It's not something we deserve to be invited into. It's not something we have earned a privileged status because of. Verse 8, Paul says, I was the least of all of the Lord's people. If you know anything about Paul, he was murdering Christians before he was telling people and trying to get people to become Christians. The proclamation of the gospel as God's people is an honor and a privilege, not a duty and obligation. It's definitely not worth doing like in a begrudgingly obedient kind of way, right? And I think here is the key as we think about what it looks like for us to be a people who proclaims uh, that gospel, the good news about Jesus. In verse 8 says that my job, Paul says, um, the heart of everything that was going on is that I would proclaim the endless riches of Christ. That's at the root of our proclamation. That's the root of our evangelism. That's the root of how we share our faith. It's not just like, hey, here's some things you got to do and check these lists and then you can be in the club, right? But rather it's God is so incredibly rich in grace and mercy towards us. Might you know how good he is? Might you know how incredible his love is? Might you know all that he has done for you? Might you be just like captivated by him as I am? If you've been here at all as we've studied chapters one and two, then you know that like the riches of Christ are like endlessly immense. Chief among which we have been adopted by God as his kids. And so we have uh, an inheritance as his children. We are loved as his children. We are accepted. We are in, like, involved in his household and in his kingdom. Not because of anything we did, just because we were in, adopted into that kingdom. The riches of Christ are incredible. And so Paul says, that mission has been given to me to proclaim the riches of Christ. And throughout the New Testament, the Bible would add that that mission has as well been given to all of us who call ourselves Christians. And secondly, the passage talks about how the message is proclaimed by the church. Verse 10, it says, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Like, manifold is not talking about a car part, right? Uh, but it's talking about like a diamond, right? When you look at a diamond, there is a million different facets on it. And when you spin it around, it sparkles in different kinds of ways as you spin it. That's what Paul is talking about here. That, that kind of, of wisdom of God, when you look at the wisdom of God, it's like a diamond and you spin it and it sparkles from every angle. And you can't fully understand it if you just look at it from one way. You have, to, you have to spin it so you might see all of its miraculous goodness. And it says the way that the world, the way that everyone, the way that the heavenly realms, the rulers and authorities, the way that the universe finds out about the, the radical beauty of the gospel is through the church. 
John Piper, one of the pastors, says this, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son, Jesus, by making the church the showcase of his perfections. Or to put it in another way, and to include the idea of the body, God means to fill the universe with the glory of his son by putting the church on display as the embodiment of his son. See, Christ fills the universe with his glory by showing the universe his body how he chose her, how he destined her, how he came for her, how he taught her and suffered for her and died for her and rose for her and reigns for her and how he called her and justified her and cleansed her and kept her and how he will raise her and glorify her. See, Jesus is showing the world who he is in and through this people who are his body, this people who reveal who he is and what he's like. So what is the church's role in this proclamation? There's an individual's role in the proclamation of the gospel, and there is the church's role in the proclamation of the gospel. And I just want to reiterate, the church is not a building. The church is not a place. It is not an address. It is not a location. The church is a people, which means they can be anywhere. I don't know if you noticed, this is a hotel. So, like... Just because it's not a church building doesn't mean that this isn't the church, right? The church is a people, a gathered people of God with a new identity and a new purpose. It's important for us to recognize here, too, the church was not plan B, right? It says in verse 11 that all of this came about according to the eternal purposes that got accomplished in Jesus, which means that it wasn't an accident, God wasn't just like, well, Israel, you totally blew it. Like, epic, epic failure, guys. We're going with plan B, jettison you guys. We're going to start over, right? No. The pastor says that from the very beginning, the plan was the church. The plan was uh, this reconciled people who will be God's dwelling place by which he lives and through whom he lives, See, it's really important to understand that, like, this is, like, crucially important that we understand, right? The church is central to the good news about the gospel. The church is central to the good news about the gospel because it reveals the power of the gospel in a redeemed and reconciled people. A people that lives differently. A people that is different right? A changed people reveals something drastically different than just a changed person. Should I say that again? A changed people reveals something drastically different than just a changed person. John Stott says it this way, the gospel which some of us proclaim is far too individualistic. The good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ, which Paul preached, is that Christ died and rose again, not only to save sinners like me, although he did, but he did it also to create a new humanity, not only to redeem us from our sin, but also to adopt us into God's family, not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to one another. See, the church is an integral part of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of a new society as well as that of a new life. 
God is not just interested in changing one person individually at a time, although he is about that. It's much bigger than that. God longs for a people to reveal who he is and what he's like. If you look from the very, very beginning, some of the very first words of the Bible, right, it talks about God being in community. The Trinity is the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? One God and three persons together uh, complete with one another. And God created humanity, men and women, male and female. And it says that in the very creation of men and women is that the creation of men and women as different people, it shows something about who God is like because men alone cannot represent God and women alone cannot represent God. But people, humanity, men and women together show a picture about who God is and what he's like that cannot be shown alone. And so it is with the church, right? I can't reveal everything that there is about God in just me. I'm way too sinful and far too jacked up for that to work, right? But it's through a people by which God shows the world who he's like. My wife is incredibly different than me, right? And if you have met her, know that, right? And if our family, like if our kids just looked like me, that, they would have a whole lot of flaws that I do not want them to have, right? But both Hannah and I influence and invest in our kids. And so they become something that both of us are about, and they reveal something about what both of us are like. A changed people reveals something different than just a changed person. See, one of the, I think one of the biggest problems... <clears throat> is that there are a whole lot of messed up understandings about what the church is, right? Uh, we do not have time to get into all of them because the list is like thousands of pages long, right? But I just wanted to highlight a few kind of ways of thinking that I think are relatively pervasive in, in the kind of the demographic that we're trying to reach uh, as River City Church here in the city of Dubuque, right? So a lot of, I think, common ways that people might think about the church, Right? This is not a comprehensive list, right? but it's just a few that I think are, are helpful. A few mindsets or ways that people think about the church that are, I think just get in the way of us being that kind of people. right? Um, I think chiefly, number one, I think people just think the church is not needed. right? Me and God are cool. like We're good. right? My faith is just a personal thing. I don't really need any other people to be involved in it. I certainly don't need to tell anybody about it. Um, me and God are cool, right? I talk to him, I pray, maybe I read my Bible sometimes. We're good, right? Some people, I think, the church is old and outdated. We, like, they invented the internet, right? They invented social media. I'll just listen to some sermons, uh, or let's listen to some podcasts, and then I'll just blog about it and talk about it with my friends, Right? There's no need to like gather with people. There's no need to like build relationships with people about that idea. They'll just do that digitally. It's old and outdated. I think sometimes people think about church like a religious buffet, right? 
which church are we going to go to this month, right? Well, we like the worship over here, and we like the preaching over here, and Brandon preaches for way too long, so we're definitely not going there, right? Um, or there's a special guest speaker happening here, or there's something going on, or hey, there's just something new over here, and we're just going to kind of pick and choose whatever makes us happy, whatever is most entertaining to us. We'll just kind of see church like a religious buffet. I think some people think about church as kind of like Sam's Club, Right? You pay your membership dues and you get your benefits, right? You just put your discount down, right? You pay your yearly whatever, and then you're, you get all the stuff at the store, right? You can just kind of go in and pick whatever. You get all the benefits. You get the free shopping. You get the endless samples on Saturdays, right? But you just pay your dues and you get your benefits. I think sometimes... People think that church is primarily about meeting their own needs. And sometimes that's needs to like feel accepted or loved. Maybe that's needs to have community, right? But I think a lot of times, too, it's even church is about like my need to serve or my need to use my giftings or use my talents. There's a worship leader who's a friend of mine. He basically just changes churches every couple of months based on who needs somebody to lead musical worship at their church. Like, I think it's great to serve, but he just does that because he wants to be needed, not because there is an actual need. I think sometimes people think that church is just about duty and obligation, or even worse, church is just about manipulation, right? I feel guilty if I don't go, I'm supposed to go, so I'll just kind of begrudgingly go and do it, like welcome to like 95% of the people in our city, right? I just like want you guys to hear like for me like I have no interest in you being here because you feel guilty about showing up to church or something like that. Like I would love and long that you would see this people and this place and our gathering as like life-giving and like a place that you long to be a part of, a people that you long to be a part of, right? And certainly I just want to reiterate like River City Church is has no intention of manipulating you in any way, shape, or form. Like, zero intention of manipulating you for, like, your time, for, like, your skills, and certainly not for your money. That's, that's not what we're about in any way, shape, or form. So I just want to make that clear. I think lastly, and I've said this uh, earlier today, I think one of the chief misconceptions is that church is a place and not a people. I think far too often people think that the building will do ministry for them. If we just had a building, then everything would be fine. Or we have this huge building, let's just let people use it, and that will be the ministry that we do, right? If we just had a building. Listen, I want you to know, as River City Church, I'm not opposed to us not meeting in a hotel forever, right? Like, I am open to us having a building, but you just need to know, like, that's not a priority, right? Like finding a space and a physical building, that is not on the priorities list for River City Church. Because where we meet is not that important. If and when we outgrow this space, we'll need to find something else. If that's a physical place where we meet all the time, awesome. If that's another place where we do it mobily, then great. Because the goal is not to have a place by which people come to do ministry. The goal is that we would be a people who do ministry in the place we go. You see how that's different thinking, right? 
See, at the heart of all of these examples is one thing. It is a rampant individualistic ideology. Church is about me. It's for me. It's about my satisfaction and my joy. It's about my religious experience, right? There is 0% shot. Like, I might even say negative 0% shot, right? That we will be a people who proclaims the riches of Christ if at the root of our thinking about the church is us. 0% chance. I think as well, there is 0% chance of us being a people who proclaims the riches of Christ if we try to do it by ourselves. See, the design, God's design from the very beginning is that it would require a people, a renewed and reconciled and redeemed people who are changed because of Jesus, who are new because of Jesus, who are different because of Jesus. It would take a people not a person, to reveal who he is and what he's like and to be about the mission which he invited the Israelites into at the very beginning, that through them the whole world would be blessed. So what is it going to look like, right, if River City Church is to be a church that proclaims the mystery and proclaims the riches of Christ, right? Well, one, we got to do it together. We're not doing it apart, Right? I thought it would be helpful if we take a look just at our vision. We could, I could talk for hours, trust me, I'm not going to, right, about what the implications of that are, but I just wanted to take a look at our vision, right? Aaron talked about it earlier this morning, right? The vision of River City Church is that we would be growing in the gospel, that would be making disciples, and that would be planting churches, right? That's where we want to head. That's, the, that's where we're going. That's what drives our, uh, the things that we do and the things that we don't do. It's, it's the direction that we're heading, right? So how do those things happen? How do they happen better? How do they even happen at all because of a people rather than a person? Well, let's just start with growing in the gospel, right? You need other people to speak the gospel into your heart and your life. You, you're not just going to grow in the gospel on your own, right? Because the gospel is about a people, not a person only, right? Right? You need people to remind you of the gospel when life is good. And you need people to remind you about the gospel when life really sucks. I think of um, uh, our really good friends, Ray, uh, Caleb and Rachel. They had a, a daughter who was born really sick and died. And... Um, I think you can only imagine like how difficult that situation must have been for them. To not be able to help a little one who you brought into the world who has been sick from the first hour of her birth. But one of the truths of the gospel is that God is able to bring good for us out of all things and he's able to bring his glory out of all things. I think one of the ways that Hannah and I, as good friends of Caleb and Rachel, were able to like walk with them and invite them and like just like care for them is by like reminding them about that truth. It's about reminding them that the that because of Jesus, because of all of his work on our behalf and for us, we know that God is not against us, that God is indeed for us. 
and that God is able out of any situation, no matter how bad, to bring about our good and to bring about his glory. And so uh, we would often just pray with them or pray for them and remind them, speak into their hearts a reminder about God's good fatherly love for them, how he proved that in dying for them. You see, we need others to speak the truths of the gospel into our hearts because we forget and because especially when it's hard, it's super difficult to remember. There's no way we're going to be growing in the gospel apart. We need a people to do that. And there's no way we're going to be making disciples by ourselves either. See, if we want to grow up disciples in Christ, right, to grow up people into maturity and followers of Jesus, right, I don't want people to look just like me. I have got way too many flaws to just, like, stamp myself onto some other people and say, like, you, just be like me, it'll be great, right? I want people to look like me, and I want them to look like Hannah, and I want them to look like Steph, and I want them to look like Aaron and Becky and others, many of you. Because I want people that we invest in to not just look like me, I want them to look like Jesus. And the only way that that happens is if a people invest in someone, not just a person. Likewise, I, as well, I think of uh, our friend Jenna. Jenna was a, a student at UW Platteville when Hannah and I were on staff there. And uh, Hannah and Jenna became really good friends. Jenna was uh, investigating what uh, it meant to follow Jesus, and, um, and so her and Hannah just formed a great friendship around that. And Hannah and her had some fantastic conversations and some great times together as Jenna was figuring out and investigating who Jesus was. But I can guarantee you if it wasn't for her friends Bree and Alex who were also investing in her and sharing their faith with her, there's no way Jenna would have made a choice to follow Jesus. It took a people, not a person, to reach our friend Jenna. Because all of those people had different stories and different experiences and different understandings and different views about that diamond that is the gospel. And as they saw it sparkle and as they told their friend about how gorgeous it was, in all those different ways and shapes and forms, it became just beautiful to her as well. Hannah and I, as we think about some of the friends that we're trying to reach in the city here of Dubuque, that's why, like, many of you guys, we have over to our house all the time, and we also have our friends who you don't maybe know yet, right? Uh, just this weekend, we had a bunch of friends over uh, on Halloween uh, to, like, decorate pumpkins and have a bunch of fun times, and uh, we invited some of our friends uh, over that many of you guys didn't know yet, and because we're trying to reach out to them, but we want, we recognize that, like, we can't do that by ourselves, and so we invite the community into reaching out to people as well. Building authentic, real, genuine friendships, right? And just loving people, serving them, caring for them well. That's not something we can do by ourselves. It requires a people. Lastly, as we think about planting churches, right? I don't know if you realize this, like, um, I didn't just plant this church, and Aaron didn't just plant this church. Like, there was a group of people who moved here to this city and this time and this place for this reason. People left significant careers and different job opportunities to move to Dubuque, Iowa, so that they would be a part of this mission advancing, and people here in the city of Dubuque coming to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. This would never have happened if Aaron and I just parachuted in here by ourselves. Because planting churches requires a people, not 
a person. All of this stuff, right? If we're going to be growing in the gospel, if we're going to be making disciples, if we're going to be planting churches as a group, as a community, as together, all of that cannot happen on Sunday mornings, right? Like the purpose of this gathering here where you find your butts right now, right? Like this isn't the pinnacle of the church, right? This is just us gathered to worship Jesus, to hear from his word, and to like grow together. Like this is not all there is. I would say the, the, the pinnacle of the church or like the, the, the living out of the church happens in small groups throughout the week. It happens in the friendships and the relationships that we have with others. You see, small groups are where we live out what it means to be God's people. You can fake anything for an hour on Sunday morning, right? But it's in the people, it's in the relationships, in the lives that you share throughout the week. That's where like life and that's where like the living out of being God's people happens. See, we grow in the gospel in small groups. We do that here on Sunday mornings, like that's me preaching and teaching and reminding us about the gospel, right? But we wrestle with those truths and we grow in it and we like do the messy work of figuring out how it really applies to our own lives. That happens in small groups. That can't happen here, right? I'm, I yammer for way too long for you to have time to do that here, right? As you think about making disciples, right? You, you can't invest in people and make disciples just in an hour on Sunday mornings, that happens in the friendships and in the relationships and the time we have over meals together and uh, in one-on-ones or over coffee and in the friendships and relationships that get built in and through small groups. And we're going to have no idea how to plant more churches if we don't know how to plant more small groups, right? And so we would long that our small groups would grow and multiply, that they would um, plant more small groups, that they would continue to grow so that there would be more and more and more of those things so that we see in the very DNA of our church what it means to multiply. So when the time comes and when it's ready, that we would plant another church, even out of this, that would raise up people from within this group one day that they would be sent to go somewhere to plant and start a new church. Like, I just urge you, like, man, if you want to grow, if you want to, like, learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, if you want to live out your faith in any meaningful way, then, like, man, you've got to get involved in a small group. <laughs> like, that is just, like, the best possible way to do that. <coughs> See, by God's grace and because of his mercy, we here at River City Church, we will be that kind of church. Not because we are incredibly great, not because we have a great plan, not because we are just like super awesome people. No, because God in his rich and great mercy towards us, as we submit to him, as we long to be his people, he promised to make us into that. We haven't earned it, we definitely do not deserve it, but God might use us as his people to be a church that proclaims the riches of Christ. I just like invite you to be a part of that. Like come here on Sunday mornings, but like more than that, like be a part of that in small groups, be a part of that in all different kinds of ways. The church is not a place, the church is a people. Let me pray. And then uh, we're gonna spend some time in worship and in communion and uh, we'll go from there. God, uh, man, we just, we long to be a people who proclaims you. 
because we are people who has like incredibly experienced you, God. God, we just humbly ask that you would be making us into that kind of people. That you would be rooting out in us like the desires that want church to be about us and for us. Want this people to be about us and for us. And rather, pray that you just like free us from that and that you would cause it, us as a people to be about you. To be about knowing you, to be about proclaiming you, to be about enjoying you, to be about treasuring you and giving you away freely to others. God, we just like recognize like there's like 0% shot of that happening if we try to do it on our own. And especially if we try to do it without you. So we ask by your spirit that you would be continuing to make us a new people who exists for you and lives for you and is about you. God, we thank you that you uh, promise that you will do that as we continue to submit to you. Pray these things in your good name. Amen.